Hello, friends. Welcome to the Nexus Podcast. I'm your host, James Dice. Each week, I fire questions at the leaders of the smart buildings industry to try to figure out where we're headed and how we can get there faster without all the marketing fluff. I'm pushing my learning to the limit, and I'm so glad to have you here following along. This episode is a conversation with Tom Baum, Building Optimization Manager at AMP Capital, and Bryce Anderson, Independent Building Automation Consultant at Lifecycle Controls. This is the most I've learned in developing a podcast in a really long time. If you're new to the business of building automation, and specifically building automation maintenance contracts, then this is for you. AMP Capital has one of the largest portfolios of buildings in Australia, They've set out to transform their building operating processes to be more data-driven. Well, that involves two main stakeholders, the service contractors that maintain the many building automation systems across the portfolio and the analytics software providers that are the newcomers on the block for each building. AMP's journey to get all of these stakeholders on the same page is a story with lessons for all of us. They share how they have simultaneously reduced preventative maintenance contract costs, improved analytics software ticket closure rates, and reduced unplanned reactive work order costs. This is a good one. Please enjoy. All right. Hello, Tom and Bryce. Welcome to the Nexus podcast. Let's start with you, Tom. Uh, can you give us your, your background? Who are you? Can you introduce yourself, please? Sure. Hi, James. And look, I mean, thank you for having us. Uh, it's great to be here. Um, so I work for AMP Capital. AMP Capital is a global investment manager with over $150 billion of funds currently under management on behalf of global investors. Um, and within the real estate sector, we're one of the largest direct real estate fund managers in APAC with uh, circa $23 billion in real estate assets currently under management. Uh, my role at AMP uh, is to manage our portfolio-wide asset technology deployments, which includes things such as building analytics, Brainbox AI, cybersecurity. Very cool. And, and where are you calling in from? You're, you're a long, long-time listener, first-time caller, as people say. Where, where are you calling in from? So calling in from Sydney, Australia. Uh, yes, have been, have been listening to, to the podcast, but uh, I think since the inception. I remember when we first caught up, James, it must have been sort of like three, four years ago when I think the yeah, and I was at CIM. Uh, I think we just continued chatting every now and then um, since that point. Awesome. All right, and Bryce, you and I just met a couple of weeks ago through through Tom's introduction. Do you want to give uh, you, your self introduction? Who are, who are you? Yeah, sure. So I'm I'm actually also in Australia in Melbourne, um, like an hour and a half flight from Sydney, so we're pretty close, I guess. Um, I'm a BMS sort of specialist consultant. Uh, worked for BMS companies for about 15 years in South Africa, London, and been in Australia since 2010. And after about 15 years of working with BMS companies, and it's not easy, heavy construction projects, those sort of things, I decided to try and get out of that. So in around 2014, I went into consulting. So for like the last sort of eight years or so, I've been doing BMS consulting. Most of my customers are either um, working direct to the owner, doing BMS upgrades, specifications, tenders, construction phase. Um, and then I also do quite a bit of new construction work where I'm normally a sub-consultant to the mechanical consultant or the builder, the head contractor, or sometimes independent commissioning agents. I've got this sort of even mix across new construction 
as a BMS specialist subconsultant or direct to building owners trying to sort out BMS problems. And then, so that's my main core business, how I pay the bills. And then to the side of that, um, I have a, a small BMS training business. We had some training courses for mechanical consultants and BMS engineers. And then I have this YouTube channel, which I sort of started at the start of COVID when, you know, I couldn't go anywhere on the weekends. So I was just sitting here, sitting on Sunday, like, what should I do? So for two years on Sundays, I just recorded YouTube videos. That's a bit more difficult now. Uh, my new resolution for this year is not to work weekends. So yeah, no videos through February. I'm trying to sort of balance that, but that's what it is. A BMS specialist, don't ask me anything else. Awesome. And, and for those of you listening that haven't checked out Bryce's channel, which probably probably most of the people that listen to this show have at least seen one of your videos before. Um, he's got what two thousand followers at this point, which is pretty pretty awesome. And yeah, I just great... hit that milestone like last week. I was watching it on the weekend, just ticking over. Yeah. So maybe like in a hundred years, I'll get a YouTube one of those little play banner things when he hits hundred thousand. But yeah, nice. It's quite hard. Like a thousand a year is very difficult to to get. It's a very niche industry. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about it. Um, I, I love your passion. So you're, you're, you're sitting in the same spot you're sitting in right now. And you're like, sometimes like hitting the table and like really talk, really talking about how things can change. So I love that. Um, all right. So we got together today to talk about a recent project you guys have been working on. Um, and we'll talk about it in sort of like a case study analysis mode, but it's also directly applicable to so many buildings across the world. So we're going to try to, try to tell the story in a way that uh, applies to everybody. Um, but maybe Tom, you could, you could maybe, maybe start us out. Um, can you t- kind of talk about the situation you were in when you're, when you're thinking about trying to shift to, to data-driven maintenance and then why you brought in Bryce to kind of help things out? Uh, look, I mean, um, I think like a lot of sort of other people in this space, I sort of fell into this industry. Um, I, I finished university and didn't didn't really know exactly where I, you know what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. But I knew I, I wanted to work somewhere that has like a positive impact on the on the climate. And this is where I I was over in the UK and I I, I found that I got picked up by a sort of large multidiscipline uh, building services consultancy and. I actually right. started out as a what's called like an environmental sustainable design engineer, or sort of ESD for short. Um, okay. And ESD was this sort of like hybrid between like classic mechanical engineering with building performance modeling and then sustainable design. And it was it was really it was really the building performance modeling that actually got me hooked on buildings. You would build these these models of buildings pre-construction. Uh, in you know these wonderful programs like IES uh, and Bentley uh, HAP, and you would then build these models and you'd parametrically alter the design parameters like window to wall ratios, more efficient chillers, LED lighting, uh, that kind of thing, and then you would see how much energy the building would use before before you constructed it. Um, and then following on from doing the modeling. I then started doing audits of buildings uh, where we you know you would walk around and actually get your nose into these existing buildings and you'd you know, observe the condition of the mechanical plant. Uh, you'd access the BMS and download sort of whatever trend data you could kind of get out of it, which at the time really, really wasn't that much. 
And then you come up with that with shopping list of sort of energy conserving measures to come back to the client with. Um, and that's where I look back and I realize like what I was doing was almost like the human version of building analytics before analytics was ever a thing. Definitely. Um, trying to understand what was going on and finding finding discrepancies and faults and uh, and issues. And this is where I really started seeing the delta and the difference between the buildings that I was modeling pre-construction and then what was actually out there in the real world. There'd be all these weird things that you would pick up on site, like why is equipment running 24-7 and why do pumps have like a VSD install but running at like 100% speed? There's yeah. this weird discrepancy, right? And I, I, I couldn't rationalize it. Um, and it was during that time when I was doing an audit, I think I was over in Canada at the time, I stumbled across this sort of other new technology, which was building analytics. You know, one of the buildings I was auditing had analytics installed and the FM had access to it. And all of a sudden it provided me with all of these trends that I would painstakingly have to try and get out of a BNS, uh, like a BMS myself. Um, And then analyzing spreadsheets, all all of a sudden, all this wonderful trend data was there. It was available and and it automatically produced, you know, a whole bunch of recommendations that, you know, I would spend hours deliberating on and analyzing just to get to a point of saying, oh, like, did you know, you know, X, Y, Z. And this kind of blew my mind. It was like, okay, this is, this is the future. Like I, I kind of saw it and got it. And that's when, that's when eventually I came back to Australia and ended up working for, for CIM, uh, one of the sort of largest building analytics providers over here in Australia, um, working in both sort of like the engineering side and sales side. Uh, eventually before getting, getting the call to come join client side with AMP, that was too good to refuse. So yeah, it's been, um, been an interesting journey up to this point. And it was pretty yeah, funny because where, where Tom and I met was about five years ago, I'd been engaged to run an analytics tender. So I wrote an analytics specification and ran a tender phase for analytics. And Tom was one of the tenderers. And like many situations, now he's the customer. <laughs> <laughs> Happens yeah. a lot. Well, I, I identify so much. And Tom, you and I probably talked about this the first time we met a couple of years back, but that journey was like so similar to my journey into analytics as well. And I'll point people back to the podcast with Leon Werfel from Bueno. That was exactly his path as well. We're all doing this. We're all doing this in spreadsheets. I would even add that I was installing data loggers. So a lot of times <laughs> you didn't even have the data in the BMS. So you're out there installing data loggers to even get the data, to even get it into the spreadsheet to begin with. Oh, absolutely yeah, right. Like, I mean, you kind of tell people who are getting into the industry now who just assume that this like data and analytics has always been there. And it's like, I promise you, it definitely wasn't. Getting, getting data out of a BMS was really hard work whatever trends there were were often you know not longer than like seven days old and not all points were trended and like it never used to be this way um but you know it definitely gave me like a really good appreciation of just what a jump analytics made for people that were consulting in existing buildings and I, i think starting out in that in that consultant type world before then making the jump over to the technology has given me a good appreciation of just what kind of benefits it delivers absolutely all right so so at amp take us through kind of how you're trying to uh implement analytics and kind of what your goals are 
Yeah, so the journey with AMP was um, that they they were looking for one analytics provider across the entire portfolio. Uh, before I joined AMP, they had uh, a number of providers. Um, typically, the incumbent BMS contracts would have their own analytics solution deployed, uh, or there were some independent third-party solutions also deployed across a range of assets. We we have over you know 60 buildings that we manage across uh, commercial office, uh, retail shopping centers, and logistics, of which about 40 or so have a BMS, uh, and about you know 10 to 15 of those had analytics deployed. And so what they were looking for was a portfolio-wide solution which could then be deployed to you know, streamline the delivery of analytics, provide standardized reporting, all the sort of benefits that come from having one solution across, across an entire portfolio. And so before I joined, they actually they decided to, to roll out your switch automation uh, as the building analytics pro- provider across the portfolio. And a, a big part of why they asked me to join AMP was to manage that rollout process and to help I suppose, make that transition over to data-driven maintenance. What AMP were looking to do was to not just deploy analytics and just say, hey, walk away, that's our data-driven maintenance solution, done and dusted. What we were discovering when we had switched deployed was that we were still encountering some of the really old traditional blockers that I think a lot of people who have worked in analytics had encountered you would have a monthly meeting with your hvac and your bms service contractor each of the sites and at some sites some contractors were still refusing to rock up to a meeting because it wasn't in their contract it wasn't part of their existing deliverables and scope and at other buildings i think anyone who's worked in analytics has probably come across this exact scenario where you rock up to a, a managed service meeting and you're presenting the same issue month after month uh, and wondering why is this not getting closed out? And the answer, you know, isn't the fact that like the fault is bad, that it's a false positive or that the insight isn't genuine or accurate. The issue was more the fact that the contractors didn't have any, it, it wasn't part of their scope to, to, to actually, you know, listen and allow time in their day to actually close out these issues. And this is where we realized that we needed to also go out to tender nationally for our BMS and HVAC service contracts. And we needed to transition these contracts from what was traditionally a planned preventive maintenance approach to a much more data-driven approach that ensured that we created a collaborative engagement between our service contractor, the analytics vendor, and AMP. Without that collaboration, we realized that it just deploying an analytics was not going to get us to the outcome that we wanted to get to. Got it. And so that's when you brought in Bryce to, to sort of help, help with that. That's right. We, I mean, I, I started reviewing our BMS contracts across the portfolio and we started thinking about ways that we could drive collaboration and engagement between the analytics vendor and the BMS contractor. And we, we actually created a specification um, with the help of a mechanical con- consultant. And specification was pretty good. Uh, and we'd, we'd also just, like, I suppose, explained all of the outputs and reporting and dashboards that would come from the Switch platform. Um, 
And I sort of realized that other than the BMS contractors rocking up to a meeting and closing out a few, you know, a handful of faults every month, were we actually going to change the behaviors of the BMS contractors? So were we actually solving the problem of this engagement piece between the contractors? And that's where I realized that we really needed the specialist advice of someone who's worked in the BMS service industry and could help guide us in this transition towards data-driven maintenance. So that's where I got in contact with Bryce and we took him through what we created. And we just asked Bryce, with what we've created, is this going to lay the foundation to start solving the problem? Uh, and Bryce's reaction was pretty blunt. Uh, he just said, no. No. It was just a flat no. We're, like Just explaining what an analytics uh, platform creates and does doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to change the behavior of the BMS contractor on site. They're largely still going to be doing planned preventive maintenance. So this yeah. is where we ask Bryce to step in uh, and provide his expertise. Before you get going on this, I want to, for anyone that's a beginner to this topic and doesn't understand how these things work, could you just explain from the standpoint of your expertise, kind of what Tom just said? So we have analytics software, it's identifying faults that need to be fixed in the BMS. And then we have a contractor that is the, the one that needs to solve that problem for the owner. Can you, under, can you kind of explain that dynamic? Like, why is it their job to fix it? Why, why is it set up in this way? Yeah, so the thing is with, cloud-based technology providers and analytics is there's a lot of roadblocks for it to actually be effective and successful and simply buying analytics and providing it although it, you know it spits out useful information valuable insights um, that doesn't mean you're gonna get a good outcome and what i've since i've been restructuring maintenance contracts for about five years what i've realized is i can write anything in a, a maintenance specification I can say that you must collaborate with the technology provider and you must do this and you must do that and you must allow for optimization and energy efficiency and enhancements. I can write all this in the specification. That doesn't mean you're actually going to get the outcome because there's real roadblocks in the way that just words in the document don't resolve. Um, so as, as Tom was saying, they had the specification which, which said all the right things. I just said to them, saying the right things isn't going to get you there. We've got to address every single roadblock and solve that problem. Um, the specification is, it's one tool. It's a piece of the puzzle to an overall solution. It's a hmm. piece of the puzzle. It's not, it's not the whole solution. And that's the mistake some people make. Um, so the problem we're having, what Tom was saying there is um, a building owner, let's say they're spending 100,000 Australian dollars on a preventative maintenance contract. BMS company is getting paid to come to site one day a week and do preventative maintenance. In other words, check every single piece of equipment in theory in a 12 month cycle. What happens is that building owners then go spend $20,000 a year, Australian dollars a year on you know some technology and predictive maintenance. And you know, the idea is that, well, we're investing $20,000 so that we have, we can reduce our, you know, service hours, our physical checks, and it should offset. So it should go from $100,000 contract up to 120, and efficiencies brings it back down to 100. That's what's mm -hmm. supposed to happen. Like that makes sense to everybody. The problem is that BMS companies, 
and, and rightfully so, don't want to give away $20,000 of revenue on every single site. They have KPIs to increase their revenue every year and make more money, not to make less money. So the issue is that I always say to building owners, if you're a, if you're a building owner and you want to deploy technology, or if you're an analytics company who has a product to sell, both of you have to address the BMS as part of that. Um, because what I've noticed happens is that, you know, definitely in the last five years, it might be changing now, but a lot of BMS, comp a lot of analytics companies tend to try and beat up the BMS company. They think that they run the analytics engine and it spits out all these faults and they say to the owner, look how amazing we are. You know, we've just found all these broken things. These BMS guys are terrible. They're so bad. You should give us more of your buildings. Like that's the strategy. But what happens is the BMS company gets upset about that and digs their heels in and does the things that Tom said they were saying. They won't come to meetings. They're not proactively responding to alerts. They're not like being a part of the complete solution. So the first thing is analytics companies need to realize that for your system to be effective, you have to work with the BMS company. Everybody has to be happy. If someone's not happy, if Tom's not happy or I'm not happy or the analytics not happy or your wife's not happy, someone's going to be, there's going to be a problem, right? So, you know, that's why when we, when we very first started this journey between AMP and myself, we decided that we're going to do this thing, but at no point are we going to beat up the BMS company or try and disadvantage them. They are going to lose something. And like an example of this being a process was where um, we built the spec first, right? And it solved a lot of our problems. And I said to Tom, if we issue the spec to over 30, 30 sites, over 14 different companies, they're going to have a heart attack and they're going to get very defensive about how we're trying to, because we were completely changing entirely how this works. So I said to Tom, look, why don't we set up a live stream with every single company and I will present this thing to them in just like normal talk. And I said to them, look, guys, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. You're not going to like this, but we can't continue to be pricing our maintenance on the same model as preventative maintenance model. We can't continue to price like that when we're running technology and it's, it's changing. So why I actually want to mention that part about that first live stream was we had to take the BMS company on a journey with us. That's what had to happen. We couldn't just try and be too heavy handed with it. So the point here is really that to solve this problem, it's it's a process and a lot of work. It's not just a document. The document doesn't do anything. Like we, aspect says that in the morning before lunch, you will do this. And then after you've had a sandwich for lunch, that second half of the day, you will do this. This is how we're going to measure you. A lot of the BMS companies didn't mind that. They said, well, that's great because now we know exactly how you're going to measure us. We know at the end of the year, we'll have a satisfied customer. Where at the moment now, we don't have satisfied customers generally. So I guess, yeah, that's what the, the main problem was, I guess. So Tom and them did a lot of work before I got there. As he said, they had done a lot of analysis around their current portfolio. And they gave me these big spreadsheets that had you know, all the sites in and and how many, what the, the preventative maintenance costs were per year for all the sites. And another column, which was, this is how much money we're spending for each site on additional work orders. Mm -hmm. And when I saw that number at the bottom, I could not believe that the amount of money that AMP was spending on preventative maintenance, like million dollar numbers, 
And the percentage of additional costs on top of that for work orders was unbelievable. So when we started this, we all had different sort of objectives. Um, my objective personally was that well, well, Tom wanted me to write, build something that facilitated, forced the collaboration between the technology providers and the BMS companies, not just with scoping words, but create a process that makes that happen. But what I wanted to do was I wanted to um, try and reduce the work orders because a lot of the stuff that was getting charged for as, as extras in my mind should be a part of normal maintenance. So there's a big piece around restructuring around what is now considered additional work. It's clear, it's clearly defined that logging into the workflow management tool of the AGS platform is not additional. Responding to those alerts, going and fixing things, coming back, logging back in, ticking it off, that's not extra work. Tuning is not extra work. Opt optimization is not extra work. Going to meetings is not extra work. And we had to obviously change how we do things to free up the time to do that. But, and the other thing I wanted to do was, this is a really key part. My current specifications before this journey was, I had this document, this amazing document, um, but it required a lot of my time to make the process work. I'd have a lot of meetings with one-to-one -one the BMS company, lots of renegotiations around, hang on a sec, why does that cost that? Like, read this part of the spec, it tells you what to do. Lots of that sort of education piece. When Tom came to me and said, we've got to roll this out across the whole portfolio, I was like, oh my gosh, like, my thing can't go across the whole portfolio because I can't fight with 14 companies over 30 sites. So I had to build this complete new spec that was designed in a way that it could go out across a whole portfolio and um, it come back and didn't require a lot of work from us. So what I did, one of the things was I didn't want to have to review 30 or so maintenance proposals and read these proposals that all were formatted differently and said things differently and include different things. So I created these tender forms fill the tender form in, answer these questions, break your costs down like this. And that was like a, a big thing. So we, a lot of success there that you know, if AMP wants to, in every two years, reissue the tender across their incumbents because they've tweaked something or they're getting more effective results from technology, it's like, it's a simple thing. We reissue the process, bang, it goes there, comes back in a month, we're, we're done. So I, I really wanted to try and create this sort of scalable solution. So just summarize that. The first thing we had to do was facilitate better collaboration. That was the first we had to do. And we did that. That was, that was good and easy enough. The second thing was to create transparency in pricing. And we just want to just touch on this for a second. When Tom gave me back all these spreadsheets of the whole portfolio, and we filtered the sites from the biggest sites to the smallest sites, the cost for maintenance was not the highest to the lowest. We would, we looked at the, the, the pricing was completely random. It's just like all over the place, two buildings, the exact same size, double the price. So what we managed to create, which is I'm really proud of is AMP now has a baseline for what maintenance costs, because there's a structure to it and it's clear what has to be done, not get done. So we now have the biggest buildings cost the most and the smallest buildings cost the least. And it, it's like that. Now, there are places where it jumps around a bit because there's other challenges where some of the buildings are older or new, whatever it is. But generally, we now know what maintenance costs, regardless of who the provider is. So yeah, I guess Tom had like a wish list of these are the things we're trying to achieve. And my job was to, to take that wish list of stuff and build something that achieved that. That was like 
that was the main focus of the project, which which was like pretty difficult. Sounds like it. So I want to key in on two things before we kind of go further with this story. One is Tom, can you explain the the difference between a task that you would expect as the owner, now that you're on the owner side, you would expect to be underneath a maintenance contract and then a task that you were getting charged these reactive work orders for, and then maybe like throw in where does the analytics tasks come in? So how do you think about these sort of three buckets of, of tasks? Clarify that for people. I suppose when we were starting to have uh, switch first and engaged, across the portfolio and we were attending these, these, these monthly managed service meetings, we found this incredible discrepancy and variability in what contractors deemed to be included as part of their scheduled maintenance and what mm-hmm. was deemed outside of scheduled maintenance and they would have to charge additional for. Um, in an incredibly extreme example, I think we chatted about this before, we rocked up to one service meeting and the contract was being asked to calibrate some sensors. One of them was a zone temperature sensor. There was an issue with it, it needed to be calibrated, and the contractor said, yes, of course, I'll do that as part of my scheduled maintenance. The second sensor was a VAV airflow sensor. And when we reviewed it, the contract said, yeah, look, actually, uh, you know, I'm going to have to get a, a ladder and get up into the ceiling space. I'm, I'm, I'm going to need a work order for that. Ladders aren't included. <laughs> It was like, this This isn't included. And it was just sort of like this, what? What do you mean it's not included? And it's, it's just go, well, that's going to take me a bit more time. I have to get a ladder. I have to get up into the ceiling space. And so it was It was just sort of like, do you have a ladder clause in your contracts? Like, can, can, can you show me this, this, this ladder clause saying that a, a ladder is something that you deem chargeable and extra? But, you know, it, what it really highlighted was that we had absolutely no visibility or transparency on what a contract had deemed chargeable or not chargeable. It had been left up to them. And often we would just approve these work orders because the time they would communicate to us that I need to spend most of my time doing all these other things as part of my plan preventive maintenance. And a lot of the tasks that were coming out of Switch or any building analytics provider for that matter a lot of them, they, they will come back and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to need some additional time. I'm going to need to create a work order to come back to site and fix these problems. And unfortunately, in, in a lot of cases, we didn't have a leg to stand on at that point. There, there wasn't anything to say that if Switch gives you an insight or any analytics provider gives you an insight, that they need to respond to it. And this was a big problem. And what it, what it really highlighted was that we needed to clearly define what was to be included as part of scheduled maintenance moving forward and then what was an actual task which could genuinely create a, a work order for yeah so and, we um, went through and carefully to find those things yeah tom i just want to jump in there that we're joking about the ladder thing right but you know yeah. in the bms company's defense um when they price preventative maintenance they don't tend to they don't allow it to go to the vav boxes because there's a thousand of them right so they don't go to them the ladder. So there are situations where, you know, the, the event comes in, go look at the VAD box, it's pretty reasonable. However, they don't have an allowance actually in the contract to go onto the floors, up the ladder, take the ceiling out. So what I want to make here is that a lot of the times, um, so, so like some of the times the BMS company has just been difficult and we have a lot of examples of that, but there are a lot of situations where there just isn't a clear understanding between the analytics providers um, engineer who's managing 
the managed service who's running those meetings, they might not clearly understand exactly how BMS companies are engaged, what their contracts say, and what they're supposed to do. Um, and again, and as Tom said there, the big issue was that you know, the only piece of paper that the owner can go back to to reference in a dispute is the BMS company's um, maintenance proposal, which is obviously written for their advantage. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's written like that. That's fair enough, right? Um, where now we have the spec, the spec's black and white. That's what you got to do. So the owner can go back, pull the spec out, page 10. Sorry, guys, you got to do that. Um, mm -hmm. The other thing was that was interesting is that um, traditionally what consultants try and do for, to resolve this is they try and list out all of the stuff that is now included. So you would kind of list and you say, okay, you've got to go and check all these things. And you can never list out everything. It's a three-page list of stuff to go that you, that's now included. The problem is you can never actually get that whole list ac accurate. And when we when we built our spec, um, we actually had cut down. My, my previous spec was cut down to a more simple version for AMP because it had to be simple, right? And I said to Tom, look, let's not try and define exactly what you will do, and what you won't do. Let's rather say how many hours you spend on that how many hours you spend on that. So our very first basic version, just to dumb it down for, the, for this discussion here, we said from now on in rough terms, when the technician comes to site, the first half of the day, everything you do is for free. The first half of the day, we can make you do anything for analytics. If you've got to go tune something, you've got to make a slight software change. If you've got to rebuild some points in the graphic, do some, something, whatever comes out of that machine, is not chargeable unless you're to buy something. You've got to buy an actuator that's chargeable. You've got to buy a sensor that's chargeable. But labor hours, first half of the day, anything goes. Have lunch, second half of the day. Now, the key here was to be fair, right? The second half of the day was, and the second half of the day, you do whatever you want to do. Go do all your preventative maintenance tasks that are important to you, backing up databases, network integrity checks, checking the antivirus, whatever it is, because we had to be fair. We couldn't just say, from now on, you just look at the analytics because the analytics doesn't do everything. So there was a, a, an approach there around, let's find something that's, that's um, fair to everybody. Still focus on things that you have to do, your core stuff. Go and do preventative maintenance on stuff that analytics can't check. Those dampers there, we can't check them, you go check them. So that's what, that was a key sort of thought process around the current way how we're specifying it isn't working, it's hard to measure. Our measurement now is very easy. How many hours are you on switch? How many hours are you on preventative maintenance? It's very easy to measure. And then we said, so we did that and we workshopped it with AMP and like, does this work? How's it going to work? We, we spoke to the, the, the industry and I said, if I had some calls. If I did this, how would you react? We had the other sort of discussions with BMS companies. Then I, what we did was we said, okay, hold on a sec. It's a bit disjointed to do four hours, four hours, four hours, four hours. So it basically comes around to half of your time half of your labor hours are allocated to awesomeness. The other half is traditional work. So if we get a big problem with the analytics and we need two days, go spend two days, redo that code, rebuild the database, fix that thing, work back your those days, catch them up somewhere else. So we, I said, in the extreme example, you can do six months of high value maintenance and you can do six months of core preventative type of stuff. But the key here is that Again, the point I make here is you have to resolve the actual roadblock. 
with a solution. You can't just say, I want you to be better. Totally. I want to circle back also on something you said earlier, Bryce, about how what you found was that, well, I want to talk, I want to talk about how these three things can get stacked up from a pricing standpoint. So you have an initial maintenance contract, you then come in with analytics and I'm making some hand gestures for those of you that are just on audio right now. So you have this contract for maintenance, annual contract. You now have this stacked on top of it, an annual analytics software cost, right? And then also you're then potentially having an, a these pull through these work orders that are basically like, okay, you want us to work with the analytics provider, we're gonna charge you extra for that. So I'm viewing that as like what I'm hearing from you guys is that's like the worst case scenario right now mm -hmm. where you, you basically have these silos, essentially. You have your maintenance silo and you have your analytics software silo. And the owner is essentially being charged twice potentially or being charged very inefficiently for those two things when what you guys are talking about is a way to integrate them together. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Yeah, let me, let me expand on that because um, it's, it's um, even more interesting than that. So you're completely right. As I said before, there's there's the the chunk of money for the technician to come to site, an additional investment for technology, and another investment to go and fix those things. That's right. This is the part that I find most interesting. I think BMS companies probably originally five to ten years ago, when they developed their own incumbent technology platforms, they probably intended it for it to be the way it's supposed to be. However, it happened. When it went to market, in my personal opinion, my experience is that's how the game was played. So a BMS company would say, do you want to buy technology? It's extra. You know what I mean? Now, because they did that, they made it cost prohibitive and owners didn't take it up. That's why in the start, this wasn't going everywhere. So BMS companies, because they didn't, they, they, because they developed a tool, but didn't restructure their whole process, they didn't do that they created this market for cloud-based technologies they created that market and that's when then owners were getting annoyed and they were going to third-party companies to do this like if bms companies did the right thing 10 years ago every single building in the world right now would have analytics by the incumbent bms provider there'd be no market for third-party cloud technology there'd be no market for it they created that market, you know, like they're a bit greedy maybe, and they got bitten. The problem is this, this is the big problem now, is that in the last 12 months, when I'm reviewing tenders, I've noticed that BMS companies are no, low, no longer charging very high subscription services for analytics anymore. So when I was reviewing tenders five years ago, they were putting in like 30, 40,000 Australian dollars a year subscription service for analytics and keeping the same hundred grand there. They've gotten burnt by that now because somebody else now has taken a piece of their market, the cloud-based companies, and they've realized that they shot themselves in the foot. So now I've noticed in the last 12 months, they are now restructuring like they should have 10 years ago, and it's now becoming more attractive. I have a feeling that the way it's going, and I'm just gonna put this out there, I could be wrong, there's a very good chance that the market for third-party cloud analytics might disappear. Because if I'm sitting here and I've got a building, I've got a BMS company, and they're saying, look, 
you're paying 100 grand preventive maintenance. We want to integrate our technology into our maintenance contract. We're going to absorb that cost. So you're not going to pay any extra, but you're going to get the technology. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. For the first three months, I'll actually use my service maintenance hours to engineer the whole thing. So I'm, I'm going to apologize up front. You're not going to see my tech for three months. I'm going to use those that money to engineer the thing, absorb the subscription service, and restructure my thing. Once the BMS companies realize that, which is not rocket science, why would you go to a third-party company and pay them $20,000 a year? Why would you do that? So yeah, that's a pretty interesting thing. It's almost like we, we might come in a full circle. But the, luckily for the technology companies, the BMS companies are not that organized. So for them to actually, like we could make them do it. Like I could, if AAP came to me, I could have said, I'll build you a spec to force that to happen. You don't need, you don't need switch automation, right? That's not what their vision was. It wasn't their technology roadmap that we're building towards. But yeah. um, there's a thing that's going to happen there, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I would challenge you a little bit and say that the products that most of the big BMS companies have are not up to par from a FDD standpoint compared to a lot of the the you know, like I, yeah I, I agree. You know the um, dedicated the, the, vendors. the specialists are building a tool that they're a specialist in, and they have resources yeah. every day refining and making this thing look beautiful, right? The BMS yeah. company is a bit of a, an extra bolt on to their service. So you are correct, but that is a thing that can easily be fixed. That can be fixed. That is not fixing it. Totally. But no, you are right. If you like, it's better to have a, 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 a dedicated company with dedicated resources focusing on getting this right. Let the BMS company focus on their strengths. So yeah, I do agree with what you're saying. I'm just saying that there is a route. There yeah, is a there path. Is. This whole thing to get go, to do a circle. But it would require it would require what you're saying is it would require process transformation, not just the product. They have to change how they're hundred percent. You know, I, I'm just working on a maintenance restructure right now. I was doing it yesterday, and the client's telling me that for the last two years, the BMS company, it's their incumbent um, analytics. They're paying extra for it. He says those service techs are not even looking at it because no one no one has integrated the service technician and trained them that this is now what you have to do. Stop right. walking around and looking for broken things. So they're selling the right thing and they got the right product, but they didn't tell the guy with the safety boots on or the girl with the safety boots on. That's different yeah. now. Just one more thing. I was just had an idea there. I did a, a massive hospital a few years ago with multiple buildings. And we sat there and I said, listen to the BMS account manager, listen here, this is how it's going to happen. And the account manager said to me, the BMS company said, Ross, I really love what you're doing there. It's a great idea. But our service technician has been coming here five days a week for 20 years. I don't think that he will change. I don't think, I was like, I was like did you think that? Did you say that? I just heard you say that. Did don't you say, say that, that out loud? It might be true, but don't tell me and the customer that this yeah. whole thing can't work because your tech doesn't want to do it. Anyway, that's yeah. it. Fascinating. Tom, I'd love to hear your reaction to that from the owner's standpoint, right? So the reason I'm asking this is for all the other owners right that out there right now that have a portfolio and they have service contracts, diverse service contracts, they're hiring third-party analytics. Mm -hmm. How would you recommend that they structure? What should they expect from a pricing standpoint um, and, and, and these contracts? 
Well, I, I mean, for for most owners out there that invest in third party analytics, they're they're probably getting some really great outcomes from that analytics. They're definitely getting things such as energy efficiency reductions. They're likely getting you know, thermal comfort improvements, and they're likely getting uh, increased you know asset life cycles and equipment life cycles by fixing things better and sooner and quicker. What they're probably not getting is actually better value from their existing service contracts and that shift over to to data-driven maintenance and certainly when we went through and we reviewed our own service contracts and we had a look at just the i think what we've been speaking about here when we we, when we had a look at, we went through our existing contracts and we saw that largely, even at sites where we had an incumbent um, yeah, uh, an analytics solution, was that effectively that plan preventive maintenance cost was not being reduced. Um, and simply these investments in these technologies weren't actually stripping back the need for plan preventive maintenance. It was simply just being added on top as an additional cost. Yeah, And so... What I'm saying to, I suppose, to other owners is that there's an opportunity here to say, do you know what? The uh, technology now has been out for well over 10 years is that there is a better way to get more value out of your existing service contracts. And we believe that we've we've found a way to do it. And certainly with some of the outcomes that we'll discuss later, I think we've shown that we've seen an uptick uh, in these outcomes. But there's certainly... There's certainly, uh, I think this perception was out there in the market, this investment in these analytics technologies, remote monitoring tools, energy management systems, we're going to strip away the need and the cost of plan preventive maintenance. But in reality, when we went through the numbers, we saw that that plan preventive maintenance scope wasn't being reduced. And all this investment in technologies was just increasing the cost of BMS maintenance each year. And then when we were installing these technologies, you then need to actually have more maintenance to service more sensors to then service more metering. Uh, And the costs were actually spiraling out of control. And I think from the analytics company's perspective, it's some of these costs that typically they don't capture, right? They'll, they'll, They'll typically come along and say, hey, pay us 20 grand and we'll save you 20 grand of energy this year. It'll be a cost neutral service. But what they mm-hmm. don't realize is that the client has probably spent $10,000 that year in reactive work orders to get the BMS contractors to close out these tasks. Yeah. Those costs never, ever captured by the analytics platform. But as a client, it certainly hits our profit and loss. And Let's so- take a look at that further, though, real quick. A lot of the analytics providers will also try to claim maintenance savings in their ROI calculation as well. And that's only going to happen right? If you're actually making sure that those dollars are being saved like you guys are. Hey guys, just another quick note from our sponsor, Nexus Labs, and then we'll get back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Nexus Foundations, our introductory course on the smart buildings industry. If you're new to the industry, this course is for you. If you're an industry vet, but want to understand how technology is changing things, this course is also for you. The alumni are raving about the content, which they say pulls it all together. And they also loved getting to meet the other students on the weekly Zoom calls and in the private chat room. You can find out more about the course at courses.nexuslabs.online. All right, back to the interview. Absolutely. Analytics providers will, if, if you look in the, if you look in the, the pitch deck, sales deck of, of any analytics solution, 
yeah. you'll see somewhere in there, it will say something along the lines of streamline maintenance or maintenance efficiencies, something along those lines. In reality, those efficiencies are not being delivered. Simply raising a bunch of faults each month isn't going to actually reduce maintenance or streamline maintenance. What it is often doing is just adding time and adding costs to our existing maintenance contracts because there's nothing in our existing contracts that says, guys, we need to collaborate. We need to define what's chargeable and, and, and what's not chargeable. And is there an opportunity to actually reduce the cost of this contract? And this is where this is where we we realize and we'd analyze 35 plus buildings and over the span of the past five years yeah our bms maintenance contract costs had just gone up and up and up uh and we didn't have any control over that yeah can i just jump in quickly tom i was just listening to you saying there and um one of the failures of my product for the last five years was that i could issue the specification and i could generate collaboration and i could um I could change how companies do things, but what I could never do was is get the price to be the right price. Because what would happen is the BMS company still has enough room to make up whatever price they want. You know what I mean? Like you say, you have to collaborate. Well, what does that mean? Is that $10,000 or $50,000? And they might say, well, we're going to go into the chiller plant room and we're going to do one day of maintenance per year in the chiller plant room, where somebody else says, we're going to do three days a year in the chiller plant room. So what I've been struggling with the last five years before the AMP thing was I had no control over what the, what it would cost. It could cost anything, like anything. It could be $100,000, could be $200,000, could be $10,000. Whatever they want it to be, that's what it could be. So when we started this journey, I was sitting there thinking, man, if these guys are going to pay me to build this thing and I write up all the scope and all the pricing comes back and the pricing across the portfolio goes up 50%, I'm not going to be very popular probably won't be on this podcast right now. Um, so my biggest stress was, how do we do this thing, get the collaboration to get a handle on solving this problem that the preventative maintenance costing must come down a little bit to try and offset the technology. And I was sitting there, because and how I normally do it is, I normally just keep negotiating three or four times until we get to, we meet halfway. But I knew, as I said before, that was, was not going to be possible on the scale of it. So I sat there and I, I said to Tom and, and Daniel, I said, listen here, we have to tell them what the maintenance costs. That was a very stressful thing for me. We need to come up with a, a system or a, or a process or a, a formula for every building that we tell them this building needs one day a week maintenance. And that's going to line up with the collaboration piece and preventative maintenance, all sorts of things. This building needs one day a month. That was very stressful for me because to go to a BMS company who's had free reign to do whatever pricing they want for 100 years and now say, hey, I'm going to tell you what it, how much it costs. So yeah, I was super stressed. But what, what I'm trying to say here was that, again, it's a situation where if you want to get a handle on that pricing and you want to try and massage it so that it's reasonable and it's in line with the way the digitized maintenance you have to tell them what to do what it costs 
so yeah that was so i was like when when the tenders came through i was like oh my god like please let this work um and we we got it right we just we got it right it was balanced the contractors weren't it's, it's a funny story i'm gonna try and use appropriate language but the way i described this originally was we need to the bms companies to be a little bit unhappy but not angry that they're going to dig their heels in we had to try and get this to a point that they understand they don't love it but they know it's the way to have we, we had to get that that number that balance had to be right otherwise they would just dig the heels and say we're not doing nothing it's a proprietary system you have no options you could know where to go we won't do it so to get what we've been talking about here for the last 10 minutes around because we're not checking everything in 12 months we need that piece um so you well, have to be brave let me back up a little uh, just a second so there's the the combining the two costs together you want to make that efficient but i think what what you're also hitting on here bryce is the fact that when you guys looked across the amp portfolio you had that randomness that you talked about earlier and you had some prices some bms it, it wasn't just analytics are not integrated into these processes. Yeah. There was also just some prices that were astronomical. I mean, I think you, you guys showed me the spreadsheet. We can't publish it. Not some, but lots. There were some that were two to three times what others were on a hour by hour or per square foot basis, the way I understand it. So, so we're talking about basically, it's not just creating a spec and a standard for how maintenance is done. You guys also created a, like a, a standard for the pricing aspect of this as well. Yeah, that's what so, I said in the start. I said that AMP now has a baseline for what maintenance costs. That's what I meant when I said that. If they build a brand new new construction job right now out of the ground and it's 50,000 square meters and it's this, this, and this, we know what it's going to cost right now. When we get, when we get pricing, we know what's fair and reasonable because we've, we've done the hard work to, to rationalize all of it. I want to just expand on one thing here um, because people might think that BMS companies are ripping their customers off and they're not. A little bit maybe but this is what's happening right when you do new, heavy new construction construction departments of bms companies have a very good idea of what the market value is to build this new site because they're continually tested in the tender phase they know that this is a million dollar bms install they know that but in service departments they don't have that experience so the account manager who's putting together your price of a hundred thousand australian dollars a year for maintenance that account manager with no disrespect, four years ago was a service technician, and two years before that was a an electrician or a mechanical tech or whatever they were. They've worked for this company. They don't they don't know what the market value is, and they haven't worked for lots of other companies. But what happens is people like me, and and Tom and the AMP ops managers and facility managers that've been around for twenty or thirty years have worked on four or five different buildings. They have a good idea of what value for money looks like. So I think sometimes a BMS account manager just follows their process, puts the fee in, and we all start hating on them. Not because they're trying to rip us off. It's just that they don't know what other companies are charging. That's those spreadsheets we looked at before. When you look at that, it's, it's particular companies. I'm not going to be more descriptive than that. There are particular companies that are consistently, dramatically more expensive than other companies. And it just means that these companies are still pricing maintenance the same way they did in 2001. They haven't realized that the market is changing. So I really want to 
make it very clear to all of you that are listening here that BMS companies get a bad rap all the time. And a lot of the time, there's actually a reason why that is. That's why it is. So I will sometimes have owners come to me and say, Bryce, we are so unhappy with our BMS company. Find us a way out. We upgrade the thing or we, we get, who, who are their agents? Who can maintain their systems? The same, every time I go to BMS company, I say, listen here, the customer's very unhappy with you. What are you guys doing? And they'll say, this is what they say. What are you talking about? We're doing exactly what our preventative maintenance contract says we should do. As far as we're concerned, we're doing a great job. It's just that the BMS companies are not aligned with what the owners want or what the, the market demands, which is very different to, I was a service technician in London, 2002, 2003, 2004. All I had to do to be a superhero service technician was get to site on time, sign out the keys, say hello to the facility manager, look busy for six hours, leave site on time and issue my report. Because in those days, we didn't have electric meters. We didn't have integrations. We didn't care at all about energy efficiency. And that was important. Comfort control, if it's comfortable, you're doing a good job. That is no longer acceptable nowadays. However, that preventative maintenance contract, if you read it and you read one from the same company 10, 15, 20 years ago, it's the same document. It just has some more beautiful pictures, a bit more marketing about AI, ML, awesomeness, energy efficiency. It's, there's words are in there, but the actual, what they're actually doing hasn't really changed. Yeah. I mean, just to jump in there, I mean, when we reviewed our existing BMS maintenance contracts, even some of the so-called data-driven maintenance contracts that we had, it would be a 40-page document of which 39 and a half pages in it described planned preventative maintenance and a preventive maintenance schedule. These are the tasks that we're going to do each month, each time we come to site. And then there'd be half a page, a couple of paragraphs about, we also have a analytics uh, platform, which we're going to deploy on the site and we'll use it. And that was the extent of the scope that would be described yeah. in these contracts. So we realized that really, you know, the plan pre prevents in maintenance scope just wasn't reducing down and it just hadn't evolved along with the technology. And th this was certainly part of the frustration when we spoke with some of the ops managers on sites is that they say that their BMS technician rocks up to site and they know they come to site and they know that they're doing things out there in the field, but they have no idea what those things are. And, and so they they're probably doing good things. We just don't know what it is. Oh, Absolutely. They could be good things. They could be, um, they're probably doing exactly what they said that they would be doing in their, in their contracts. But often this wasn't being reported back. Uh, they're not chairing meetings with, um, the, with the key stakeholders uh, and doing all the things that third-party independent analytics vendors are really, really good at, which is communicating the value of their product to their clients. And that's, that's certainly, I think, where there's, there's a gap currently with the incumbent vendors is that it's not that their, their technologies, their analytics technologies are bad. It's probably, probably very similar fault detection rules in the incumbent BMS contractors platforms, probably the same or very similar rules that are out there in some of the market leading platforms. Um, however, they're just not using it to their full benefit. And importantly, they're not communicating the value of what they're doing 
back to AMP. So when we questioned questioned these guys and said, hey, like we've been paying for this for the past three years. Can you show us what you've done out of it? There was just blank faces. There was just, there was nothing, right? It was just like, oh yeah, we've been logging into the tool. It's like, well, you've never given us one report. You've never told us, hey, this is what we picked up and this is the problems that we solved. It was all just assumed that this was done. And then of <laughs> course, when when we deployed Switch and they were picking up all these additional faults, it was clear that obviously they hadn't been doing these things or importantly, that they hadn't actually reported this stuff back to us. If you don't communicate your value back to the client, that's almost just as bad as not doing it. Yeah. So, so if I can summarize the state of the, like when you guys did this study across the whole portfolio, there was non-competitive pricing. You didn't really have like a report back on the results you were getting. The scopes weren't the same. You had different definitions of what extra was, extra costs were. So can you guys talk about like what you did, like briefly talk about, okay, given that initial scenario, these are the things that we did. Like if I'm an, if I'm an owner saying, I want to get my stuff under control, like you guys have, what is the roadmap for the, these, these maintenance contracts? The first step um, is to do is, is find out what you've currently got in your portfolio and to create an understanding, a baseline of your existing maintenance contracts. And when, when we went through this exercise with Bryce, we were just like, what key metrics can we analyze to determine how much we're paying, whether we're getting value for, for money and whether we're getting good service? So we took a look at probably three things. The first of all was what is the price of the existing service contracts? And then we took a look at how many days maintenance are we getting for that price? So I'll just jump in quickly. Shoot. I can't keep quiet on that one. What happens is that what we also found is that with across the portfolio, we didn't always know how often the techs are coming to site because mm. what's happened recently is that some of the smarter BMS companies have or no, or refusing to tell us how many days the tech comes to site. I've been in a lot of meetings and the BMS company says, this is 150,000 Australian dollars a year maintenance. I'm saying, okay, fine. I said, how often does the tech come to site? Well, we don't do maintenance like that anymore. It's all digitized. It's this and it's that. And I said, but hold on a sec. Is it one day a week, one day a month, one day a year? Can't tell you that. That's not how we, it's not how we do work anymore. So one of the issues we had was we just, we knew what it costed, but we didn't know when to expect the person to come. And that was also a reason why we wanted to do that thing where we will tell you how often to come to site rather than let you determine what that was. Sorry, Tom, I haven't distracted you too much there. No, no, Probably no. It was Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's an incredibly valid point. Um, at a lot of sites, we would ask the FM, or we'd ask the company how many times the technician would come to site. And often we get an answer. And then later down the line, when we dug into it, the answer was wrong or it just wasn't right. Um, they thought they were getting someone in one day a week. Turns out they're only coming, you know, 36 days a year or twice a month. And there, there was a complete disconnect between what we, you know, even thought we were getting and what we were actually getting. And so getting to the bottom of that wasn't easy. But eventually we found roughly, you know, how many days maintenance we thought we were getting at each site. And then we took a look at what's what's the size of the building and what's the quantum of HVAC and BMS in there, which was, again, another really hard task. You know, I think typically when you ask a BMS company, you know, how do you price BMS maintenance is they'll say, we'll take a look at 
the number of devices, we'll take a look at the number of points, and then we'll come up with a plan that will then service that quantum of BMS. And then when we asked our contractors, okay, can you provide us with a points list? Can you tell us how many hardware and software points are in each of the buildings? We got some wild answers back. Some tiny buildings that apparently had like tens of thousands of yeah. hardware points, yeah. which clearly wasn't true. They were just mixing up hardware and software points. So in reality, we didn't actually know just how many devices and just how many points needed to be serviced. And so we needed to find a way to standardize and create a baseline based off some key metric. And what we ended up landing on was the, the square meterage of the building. If we could take a look at the square meterage of the building, the number of days maintenance that uh, we were getting, we thought we were getting, and then the price of that maintenance. And then that gave us a really good idea to understand, okay, how, or I suppose in a dollar per day or a dollar per hour metric, how much are we currently paying? Yeah. And then we analyzed that across the whole portfolio. And that's where the sort of wild numbers came up, where we saw that we were getting the same amount of days maintenance of the technician's time for two, three times the price at certain sites that had the exact same square meterage and probably a very similar number of points. Yeah. Look, it, it wasn't quite as simple as that, um, not to get into like the nuts and bolts, but originally the plan was to come up with a simple formula that the size of the building in meters squared, you know, got us the answer. But when I first started formulating that out and, and then cross-referencing the numbers that were spitting out against my experience of doing this, it didn't quite work as simple as that because when you have a 20-story building and it goes to 30 stories, sometimes you've still got three chillers. They're just much bigger chillers or the air handling, just much bigger air handling. So it, it wasn't always that a building that's double the size is double the cost. And also, for example, if you had an extra 20, 30 floors of VAVs, we don't check them physically up ladders in the ceiling. We don't do that. So it, it I spend days and days, Tom doesn't know this, looking at this this formula and this relationship and thinking like, hang on a second, that doesn't quite work. So I basically just cleaned the sheet because originally we tried to do it off points. That was never going to work. Um, as Tom said, we had the wrong numbers. People don't know how many points there are. But um, mm -hmm. then I just got, got it down. I just built a spreadsheet every 5,000 square meters. And I just started to think about, okay, from the jobs I've worked on, these size buildings, what feels right? So it's not a straight curve that as the building gets bigger, it gets more expensive. It does shift a bit. And and also the thing is, once the building got smallish, there were still fundamental tasks that had to be done, even though it's a small building. So small buildings, the cost per square meter is quite high because you've still got to do all those tasks, but it's a small building. So it works out that small buildings can sometimes, dollar per square meter or whatever it is, can be more expensive than big buildings. But I think circling back to your original question, because we have digressed slightly here, like if you're the owner and what do you want to do? So the first thing Tom's talked through there was you've got to understand your existing portfolio and the building and what is it. But the one thing that I think was, and we, and we spoke a bit about the collaboration piece and we spoke about the specification and some accountability to a process, a document. The other thing we did was, um, because I basically ran this exactly as if, if, if it was a construction project. So I had, I wrote a return brief. We had specifications. There was tenders. I did the same process end to end that I would normally do. And in a, in a, in a normal project, you have a tender form. The contractor fills in the costs for materials, installation, commissioning, project management, blah, blah, blah. So we created a tender form. 
And this tender form, which is a Word doc that they like to fill in. So there's their proposal comes back. There's the tender form that comes back. And they have to answer exact questions that we're putting in there. And we created this, the way we created transparency and pricing was that that to fill in the cost breakup of what maintenance costs. And because we told them how many days you want you to be there, we had complete mm. transparency on the technician's cost. So all we had to do then was find out, we know what the technician, how many days, we know exactly how many days it are, and there's a cost for that. What are the other costs that we can't see? Because the issue with BMS maintenance or, or any services maintenance, any, any system, security, anything lifts, is that we don't know what the breakup of the cost is. We created those, those tender forms. So now we know what is, so if your BMS system has a subscription service, which some do, what is that number? And this is when it got very interesting because, and I'll give you an exact example. I wrote a few numbers down this morning when I was getting ready for this. Um, so we, this is a real numbers from a, from a tender form that was filled out for a particular site somewhere in Australia. So we had 87, we had a 87,000 Australian dollars. So $87,000 is the technician. And because these are existing sites, that had existing numbers already, BMS companies were trying to fill in the hidden money in one of my breakup points because they had nowhere to hide money now. You couldn't hide the money anywhere. So the form says this, it says 87,000 for the technician with boots on coming to site doing hard work, 28,000 for the account manager and 10,000 for administration costs. And Tom and I were sitting in these negotiation meetings and we we're saying, hold on a sec, you're telling me that for $125,000 a year maintenance, 30% of that cost is administration? And it was because they had nowhere to hide this money anymore. Before the mm -hmm. price could be anything they wanted it to be, now the price has to line up in the, the cost breakup in the tender forms that they're all filling in. And it was so bad, a little bit embarrassing. And... Um, they were giving us all sorts of answers about how they could justify 30% of the cost is administration costs. We were saying like, so we had a few heavy, heavy meetings to get that straightened out. And that's also how we achieved, how we forced the preventative maintenance cost to be reasonable because we resolved mm -hmm. these problems. We had sites that were charging, they put $6,000 for parking and they're coming to site one day a week. That's about $120 or $115 for parking. The parking is $20. And we're like, hang on a sec, how, do you, how are you charging us five times the price for parking? Because the problem was they had nowhere to hide the money anymore. Yeah. So that's why when I say to you, we have now, AMP has developed a base of what maintenance costs and what the cost breakups are for account management, administration, parking, full function fire tests, generator. We know what this whole thing is now. There's no more smoke and mirrors. Now that's not, it's a bit unfair to BMS company. And I felt very sorry for them. And I used to apologize all the time, but we can't keep doing this the same way we've been doing it. Yeah. This isn't, we have to change. Um, anyway, so yeah, like, I guess there's a lot of things they've got to do, but the thing is that BMS companies, they have answers for everything. You need somebody that can counteract those answers. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You need a mm -hmm. specialist person that knows exactly what question to ask. I'll give you another quick point. This is a bit of a sad story here, but when we were in the tender, a lot of BMS companies saw as an opportunity to try and 
get more sites. So some companies are saying to us, hey, look, we can maintain five sites, not just our one site. We support all these different systems. We support these different systems. They were telling us this. And I was like, that doesn't sound right, that. Because I'm sure, pretty sure I know what system you install. So Tom and I would have these meetings with them and we'd, we'd sit in a meeting and they'd say, they'd do a PowerPoint and say, so we support all these sites. We can maintain these, these BMS systems. And then they'd say, to them, okay, hang on a sec. So if that controller, if that easy IO multi-vendor controller fails, what are you going to do about it? Are we going to replace it with our own controller? So at the end of the discussion, none of the sites that they were saying they could maintain, they could actually maintain. So there's a lot of, you know, I mean, there's, there's holes everywhere that have to be plugged. We can't in this discussion list out, yeah. this is what you have to do because it's a minefield and it is what it is because it's hard to fix. It's very hard to fix. Um, there's just a few, uh, something that Tom said before, something to, to expand on. You know, we were saying about this discussion around it costs this much money and it's, it's extra with analytics with the incumbent. I remember the very first time that I ever discovered this, I was in a meeting with the, with, the, with the customer and the BMS company, and they were putting in pricing for analytics. So they were saying it's $50,000 a year for the maintenance. And they said, okay, we're going to charge you $20,000 a year for the analytics. And I said, okay, I said, hang on a sec. I said, why is it not built in? Why are you not reducing the maintenance? They said to me, no, no, Bryce, you don't understand. We're providing analytics not to offset man hours. We're providing analytics to find faults quicker, which is true as well, right? So the thing is that you've got to be armed with the knowledge to shut down all those, those points, you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. And, yeah, it is and, not easy. Like we, we spent six months to make this happen. Yeah. I mean, analytics providers can, can get into these meetings as well and hit these roadblocks and not know what to do either. I've seen it a hundred times where the roadblocks aren't necessarily real to getting these things implemented, but you just have to be able to have the bigger stick or the right, right answer to the argument, that kind of thing. Okay. So, um, we're, we're, we're painting our roadmap here. We've just talked about how to restructure the process for procuring maintenance contracts, right? Um, so we talked about pricing, we talked about the spec, we talked about scoping. Um, let's, let's kind of shift, because I think that's a good set of best practices. Uh, people can call Bryce if they need more help than that. Um, let's shift to how analytics providers and BMS contractors can work together better um, in this new world of data-driven maintenance or analytics-based maintenance, whatever. So let's just kind of maybe spend a few minutes and talk about best practices that you guys have learned that you think are important for the general marketplace. Or to get them to work together better. Yeah. Well, the thing is they, they will work together quite well. Generally, a BMS service technician just wants to please his customer because they're not that worried about money, right? So um, once you do all the stuff we've spoken about, once it's all restructured and the service technician knows that when he comes to site, the first thing you've got to do is make a cup of coffee and then log into the workflow management tool and see what's assigned to him. They will actually work together quite well. Um, I'm not sure that there's, well, I have to think about it, but I'm not sure there's a, a, a list of best practices. It's a matter of once you've set up the process to work and everyone signed up, I think it's going to work. Like we'll obviously find out in the next 12 months as we've done this, because this is installed in January sort of thing. We'll see how it comes out of the wash. But um, I think that if you do the hard work up front and it's very clear, 
and it's documented, it'll happen. The mistake that people probably make is they probably say, look, let's get the technology company in a room, the MS company in a room, let's talk about it. You know, that's what often happens in existing buildings. It's, there's not necessarily a consultant always that does this stuff. That's when it doesn't work. Um, but yeah, any, any well, thoughts on that, Tom? Like, how do we get them to work yeah, better? I, I think that, yeah, I just think that you just got to get the stick out, right? And then once it's arranged, everyone is actually happy at the end. Yeah, I, I, I think that, that previous battleground of your, your contractor's plan preventative maintenance deliverables versus the analytics vendor fighting for their time, how much do they, do they spend on with each person? It's, it's not easy for BMS technicians when they rock up to site, right? They, they effectively have three bosses. They have their actual boss and their contracted deliverables. They have an FM who's going to give them a few things to do and is effectively their client. Then you've also got the analytics vendor who's going to give them faults and tasks and things to fix. So the best practice is to clearly define how much time they should spend with each of those components. Yeah, so I think the here. first step that we've, that we've got here is just to say, let's start at 50-50. So we want the first half of your day to be spent doing data-driven maintenance. And it's a clear line in the sand that a technician knows exactly how much time they have to dedicate to data-driven maintenance. I think what will come out in the wash is we might find that maybe it needs to be 60-70% at some sites, or maybe it needs to be less, maybe it needs to be 40-30%. But as a concept, we had to start somewhere, and that seemed like a logical starting point. So I think mm -hmm. providing that clarity to the technician to say, hey, this is how much time we wanted to dedicate towards this will really help facilitate that collaboration and that yeah. engagement. I think this has been probably the fallacy of analytics companies previously is that they've just tried to describe all of the wonderful outputs and reports and dashboards and faults and insights that they were going to generate. And it was just assumed that the technician would understand how to take those insights and then actually do and then actually deliver an, out, an outcome with them. What, what that means is that each technician at each site had to almost become a super user of, of these platforms. Of course, they don't get trained in e like every single one of these platforms. I mean, there's tens, if not hundreds of these platforms out there in, in the world. Is a technician supposed to become a super user in all of these? And then a technician would come on a site, get maybe really good after a few months at learning how to use that tool. And then they get moved to another site and you get a new technician in and all of a sudden you're starting from scratch. And so that really prescriptive approach doesn't necessarily work at scale across a large portfolio. So I think that's where the 50, 50 time split really helps simplify it down to say, we know that we're going to get really good insights out of an analytics platform. There's going to be faults. There's going to be wonderful graphs. There's going to be wonderful data. There's wonderful reports that the technician can use. Just give an allocation of your time towards that. And then you've still got the second half of the day left over for your plan preventive maintenance needs that will serve your boss and your FM. So that to me is, you know, probably best practice, just allowing a clear amount of time in the technician's day yeah. to do the analytics. The other thing I was just trying to think through that as you were talking, Tom, is that um, we analytics companies have to get away from this thing where they're beating up the BMS company. Yeah. The service technician is very defensive, like stuff these guys. I mean, I'm working, I'm working hard here. I've been here for five years, 10 years, and you're spitting out all the stuff that you don't understand. So there has to be a point where the, the, the analytics company needs to understand how to best communicate with the BMS company because BMS companies are defending themselves a lot of the time, collaborating and working with you. They're 
defending themselves from being attacked because they're being accused of being poor performers. So I think that the technology companies can, can take that and try and think about how can they better approach this because you need the BMS company to be on your team. I think part of that is uh, just like as what happened here at AMP, BMS contractors, BMS companies wanted the analytics contracts, right? They were the ones that were trying to compete for that like portfolio-wide contract. They lost to an independent third-party technology provider. So I think it's it's incumbent on the, the BMS providers too to let that go and play nice to this new paradigm that we're having. They need to be educated as well. You're right. It's not just on one side, the BMS company needs to learn to, to let that go. You know, the, the world has changed. This technology exists. It's not going to go away probably. So they need to adjust that and be more proactive. Like in the spec, there's like a one line and it says that the BMS company will interact with the technology platform as if it was their own platform. You need to embrace it as if it was your own platform. Totally. So you guys also had, you were telling me last time we talked about this, you're, you're baking KPIs into the maintenance contracts as well that incentivize or at least nudge the contractor towards data-driven maintenance versus the old way. Basically telling them, here's what I want you to hit in terms of the numbers. Can you talk a little more and more about that? Yeah. When, when we were coming up with, with, with KPIs of how do we measure the success of this? moving forward so how do we how do we be fair and how do we measure success and i think traditionally with analytics companies there's always been this massive focus on energy reduction if you invest in analytics we will find faults that will save you energy and optimize the building and what would happen here is that you rock up to these meetings and the analytics company would be putting forward these you know quite complex energy saving faults because that was what was going to make them look the best to their client. But potentially, I think probably negating the fact that there might have been all these other wonderful things, maybe not big in their minds, but you know, big in terms of the contractor and, and how it make them look good to say, hey, there's actually a bunch of faults that would actually need to be addressed as part of this, as as part of your day. So what we wanted to do was come up with a way of saying, let's let's decouple analytics and vendor KPIs away from from energy. And let's focus on just two things. And those two things are closing out as many data-driven maintenance tasks as possible within the scheduled time and engagement and collaboration. And if we focus on those two things, we know that all of those other things are going to be delivered. So we will save energy. We will improve thermal comfort. We will increase, um, or we will increase the life cycle of the uh, of the equipment, and it's it's really those two key things that we're tracking. So we're just looking at how many times people are logging into the platform, how many comments are they making, uh, and how many data driven maintenance tasks are they closing out each month. So it's it's really just seeing are the contractors engaging with the platform and are they closing out tasks? Because we know that if that partnership works then everything else, all those things that we just discussed will happen and come yeah. back. A key part of this, right, is making sure that the software that's selected can come up with valid faults and prioritize those so that the things that are getting assigned to the maintenance vendor 
are the top priority things that are then driving those energy savings, et cetera. Sounds yeah, like. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's not necessarily just hitting those really heavy sort of high priority faults. It's also mixing that in with some of the low level stuff as well. So it's not just saying, hey, I want you to spend two days sorting out my chiller staging. I also want you to spend a bit of time Here's your you know, top 10 worst performing VAVs. And this is the reason why. I also want you to spend time doing that because mm-hmm. thermal comfort is also an issue. It's not just about tackling the really high impact energy saving things first. We want you to balance that time so that you're also providing value in other areas as well, as opposed to just saying, guys, we're going to go through the biggest energy reductions. And we're just going to focus on that. And then we'll get to the, to the smaller stuff because we also care about the smaller stuff as well. Yeah, I um I learned a lot through this process because I didn't most of the KPI development was with Tom and the AMP team and, and Switch, etc. So I just basically just wrote up what or copied and pasted in what they what they'd written up. And I, I was I really liked this idea, and I'm gonna slightly reiterate this, but it is near impossible to prove energy savings as in kilowatt hours. It's almost impossible to prove that. So like on any building that's investing in technology. They're probably also investing in like LED upgrades and chiller upgrades and vertical transport, you know, control system upgrades, facade stuff. So there's all this stuff happening in these these big assets. So any specification that talks about achieving energy efficiency savings is looking for trouble. Um, and yeah, I, I love the I love the way that they said, look, as long as you log into the platform and they're tracking that, like the amount of logins, and as as Tom says, they're making comments in the platform. The other thing we tracked was um, we got switched to build a thing where um, the so they can input how many hours per day they spend on the data-driven maintenance and the hours they spend on preventative maintenance, the 50-50 split. So we can try and track that. And it might not be possible. Sometimes it might just be more of some sort of a problem. But as long as they are spending the right amount of hours or generally over a 12-month on high-value activities and still keeping up to date with preventative maintenance, if you stop doing preventative maintenance, the thing will stop working. Um, so like Tom says, it was like, as long as you're all doing the right thing, what you actually want will come out of the wash. Don't try and monitor that. That was fantastic. I loved that. Cool. Let's, yeah, um, and, and, sorry, ahead, James, I, I, I mean, just to expand on that, I mean, even this, this, um, new, new data and maintenance contract came into effect at the start of this year. And what we've seen just even in the first couple of months is a real uptick in the amount of both data-driven maintenance tasks that have been closed out. And we've seen by far improved collaboration between the analytics vendor and the BMS contractor. So previously we were averaging, I think around about a sort of 30 to 40% closure rate on tasks. So to translate that, if switch were escalating 10 tasks per month at this site, the analytics vendor was closing out three to four of those. We're now hitting 70, 80% closure rates purely just by having the correct process defined as to how you're supposed to work together. Mm. What that means is we know that if we close out more tasks and we improve that collaboration, yeah, all of those wonderful things will happen. So it is still early days, um, but we've definitely seen an uptick. And this is, this is purely just by hitting it on the service contract side. And I think to touch yeah. on that point you said before, James, there is that I think the analytics vendors have also clued into this as well, right? So they're trying to solve that problem from the platform's perspective as well. They're making the user interface and the user experience much more friendly for contractors to get in there and use it. They're spending a lot of time improving the actual diagnostics, improving the fault detection, getting rid of 
false positives, providing more valuable insights. Um, and certainly if we attack it from both fronts, we're going to get to the right outcome. I think just by solving the problem with the platform, just by creating a great platform doesn't necessarily mean that your service contractor is going to you know, deliver you a great outcome yeah, no ways. if they're not incentivized to do this. And that's, that's always been, I think, some of the frustration from some of the analytics vendors. They're just like, we're building these great things and we're making it easier and easier. So why are we not getting the traction that we necessarily want to see on these sites? And this is where if you if we set this up right foundationally with the contractors is that you can turbocharge the output of your data-driven maintenance. And that's really what we've seen. Um, and it's not through by, you know, just relying on the, on the analytics platforms to innovate and create these great solutions. It's just by creating that partnership between the contractor and the vendor. Because analytics as a product doesn't generate an ROI by itself unless someone takes that insight and delivers an outcome with it. It doesn't matter how good the platform is. Eventually, you'll just have this platform generating a bunch of great insights and faults that no one will do anything with. I think that's that's definitely been the frustration that you know, analytics vendors have always seen. Um, it's just trying to get this way of getting everybody on the same page to do good. Totally. So we're running up on time here. I want to sort of like conclude by summarizing sort of the outcomes that other owners can expect if they implement this sort of program. So one of them, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, I'm going to go through the list though. sounds like one of them is just reduced preventative maintenance contract costs, right? Another one is um, better implementation of analytics faults. Um, so higher, higher uh, implementation rates. Another one is more efficient for the dollars that you're spending on maintenance, better outcomes for those dollars. And then it sounds like another one is reduced reactive maintenance costs through unplanned work orders. So that's a pretty compelling story that you're and telling. And transparency and processing. And transparency and pricing. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a pretty compelling story. If we could, that's why I wanted to do this podcast. If we can get that story out, I think that's, that's pretty compelling from an owner standpoint, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, some of the outcomes that we touched on there in terms of the data-driven maintenance, yeah, you know, we're getting more high-value data-driven maintenance tasks done. You know, that's been one of the key things. It is early days, but we've seen an uptick already. The other key thing that we've achieved is we achieved a 21% reduction in our BMS service contract costs. And this hasn't been done by just screwing the contractor over to say, guys, let's just reduce your hours, reduce your days. We've actually only reduced... Uh, the number of days across the portfolio by about 7%, but the cost has reduced by 21% because the contractors have come to the table and said, yes, okay, we understand what you're trying to achieve and we're now going to give you a price that's actually fair and relevant for the outcome. And so a 21% reduction across 35 buildings was, was, was a very big number. Um, and sorry, also, Tom, sorry, the other thing is, sorry, I'm keen to see at the end of this year, we'll get reduction in work orders because they're coming to meetings now and they're, they're actioning tasks now, tuning systems. So I think that we're going to get another saving at the end of the year on reduced work orders, which is going to be another very big number. That's right. I mean, there's, there's a very real chance that by going through this process, purely just on the BMS costs reductions alone through service contract cost reductions and reactive work order cost reductions, 
that that will actually completely offset the cost of analytics without actually having to save a single dollar of energy. We know that the bonus. energy reduction will come, right? And then when it, when, we're not going to have that really awkward conversation that a lot of analytics providers have with their clients after two, three years that says, okay, great, you saved me all this energy. What next? Why should I keep paying you? It's, it's a really tricky conversation to have because you then have to reshape your value proposition to say, ah, oh, but you know, did you know we're also doing all these things and we're getting more value from service maintenance contracts, we're increasing asset life cycles. But if you've been really hard up front about saying analytics saves energy, at some point someone will ask you, well, how much more are you going to save and why should I keep paying you? And yeah, that's really we've made not really because we've already created that OPEX reduction in our budgets and that's budgeted for the next five years. So that that reduction has already been made and it's already offset the cost of the analytics. So we know that those energy savings will come and they'll continue to come. So all those wonderful outcomes will now just be the fruits of our labor of, of going through this exercise. And we won't have to have that awkward conversation. You know, we want this to be part of the new way of doing BMS maintenance. And we've also started doing this on HVAC as well. Um, we didn't go through the exact same process with HVAC, we went through um, an alternative method with HVAC and we also got a significant cost reduction in our HVAC maintenance contracts as well and hopefully reactive work orders as well. So there are there are multiple benefits that can be delivered. Um, process. I wanna double click on HVAC. So we've just been talking about control system monitoring as all of the different silos in the building start to become digital and be able to be monitored, it strikes me as like, and you've talked about this with me before, it strikes me as a natural progression to apply these same concepts across other digital systems. So how do you see, like, what does this mean for other systems in the building as far as what you guys are thinking about from a maintenance standpoint moving forward? Absolutely. Um... All, all these other subsystems, whether it be vertical transport or access control, all the vendors are now extracting data out of these systems, installing gateways, and they've built their own analytics and dashboards. Um, and there's certainly lessons that we can learn from, the, I think, the journey that we've been through with BMS and apply these learnings to all these other subsystems. But certainly, if if we all these wonderful data-driven maintenance insights and dashboards and analytics are going to be produced. But realistically, if from a service contract perspective, if that's not going to change, if they're fundamentally going to keep doing plan preventive maintenance the same way that they've been doing it, whether it's a lift or if it's a light or a metering solution, is that if you're not going to evolve and incorporate data-driven maintenance within the value of the contract as opposed to selling it as a as a additional add-on, then we're going to go through this whole process again of owners saying, hey guys, why are we paying more for our, for our service contracts? And why are we paying more and more each year when you're telling me that you've got these wonderful tools that can do things in a smarter way? And we've even had conversations with some OEMs um, who have openly even said to us that we've started developing these data-driven maintenance solutions, but you will pay more for these things because we're not going to change the way that we do our maintenance. They'll, they'll, they'll tell you that you still need to do all of that plan pre preventive maintenance to maintain these systems properly. And that the data-driven maintenance solution will just think, be this additional cost. I think, Tom, that's so, just that th those services are five to 10 years behind the BMS in this journey. 
That's what it is. Yeah. They're, they're five years ago. So they will get there. We're just going to play that same game. Yeah, it is. It is. But, you know, we'd like to think that we could take the learnings from BMS and apply it across to these. Uh, we can. We're going to have that same battle again. <laughs> yeah. Sounds fun. Sounds fun. Well, I'm I expect that one, too. Maybe we can we can do a future episode on on what it looks like to apply this same concept across the other silos. But uh, for now, I really appreciate you guys coming on the show. This might be one of our longest episodes, but I think it was worth it to dive into the details. So, thanks so much, you guys, for sharing your your journey. I think it'll be useful for for others across the world. That's a pleasure. All right, friends, thanks for listening to this episode of the Nexus Podcast. For more episodes like this and to get the weekly Nexus newsletter, which, by the way, readers have said is the best way to stay up to date on the future of the smart building industry, please subscribe at nexuslabs.online. You can find the show notes for this conversation there as well. Have a great day.